0: Friends, it's certainly a pleasure for us to be here today, and uh, Brother Steve and Sister Brenda Dew came also, and we bring greetings from the Monroe, Louisiana Ecclesia. It's been a number of years since I've been here, and uh, I guess I need to apologize for that in one way, because I, at Bible school every year I talk with various ones of you and say, I sure would like to come back to Clinton sometime, and they tell me the door's not closed, so uh, we, we're here now. The title we've chosen for our remarks this morning is My Land. Some of you will find this a little bit elementary and probably little, if anything, will be said today that will be new to you. But some of these comments and some of the scriptures we read might be refreshing to you and we might find comfort in many of them. I hope that's the case. And for some of the younger folks... Maybe there are things here that uh, you've not heard or not heard just this way before. It might spark some interest and and you might study further. We want to do one thing first, though, and, and I want to hold up the Bible and ask, particularly the young people who weren't in our adult class this morning, uh, we, if we think of this Bible as a menu, and I know we've all gone to restaurants and, and uh, had a menu put before us to, to make selections of what we would care to eat at that particular time. But if the Bible were considered to be a menu, what would be the selections we would see in it? Anybody want to? In very uh, concise or very summary terms, what would we say that this book offers us? Somebody said life and death, is that death. Life or death, right. That's the answer I was looking for. We could probably say other things that would be similar and get the same point across, but those are the two things I had in mind, and we've made the point this morning in adult class that there are really just two choices to make. We either choose to serve God or we choose to serve fallen mankind or ourselves. Fallen mankind and ourselves is the same thing. But anyway... On with the exhortation, which as we said earlier, we titled My Land. In the King James Version, the two words, My Land, taken in order, appear twelve times, all in the Old Testament. And in the order of the books of the Bible, the first three times we find this, they were stated, or this term was used by Abimelech or attributed to Abimelech, Jephthah and the king of Ammon, respectively. The fifth time in scriptural order, Job use this particular phrase. The other eight times, again, all of which are in the Old Testament, God through his various prophets uses the words my land. And the most interesting aspect of this two verse, of this two-word phrase rather, is that in every case in which God said my land, it is quite clear that the phrase always applies to the land of Israel. Stated another way, when attributed to the Almighty, never in all of Scripture does the phrase apply to any other than the land of Israel. We find this particularly interesting given recent statements that have been made and various but related events that have occurred in the land of Israel in recent years, which certainly includes the events of the recent war with Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, and the statements made by both Hezbollah leaders and the leaders of Iran in which they condemn Israel and even state that Israel should be wiped off the map. On December the 12th, 2006, the leader of Iran said, Israel will be wiped out soon, or will soon be wiped out, or the precise quote. As a certain indication of the reach of the recently ended war, that is the one that occurred last summer, we note that in the end of the war, the leaders of the European Union have stated that, or near the end of the war, they stated that they will be happy, uh, or they will rather supply the main military support to southern Lebanon for peacekeeping. But let us now look at Scripture and observe what the Almighty instructed his prophets to tell the people about this land of Israel. In the first passage, which is dated about 1004 B.C., we find in 2 Chronicles 7.20, we see that the context is that King Solomon had finished his prayer of dedication for the new temple, and God came to Solomon in the night and favored him with words of instruction for the people, that is, the children of Israel. In verses 15 and 16, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we note that God stated he was attendant to Solomon's sincere prayer that God chose and sanctified the temple that is the house and further instructed Solomon to walk as did his father David and if Solomon would do so God would highly favor him but if he did not as we read in verses 19 and 19 through 22 rather we learn just how God would punish him for failure to keep his commandments We read verse 19, But if ye turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight, and will make it to be a proverb and a byword among all nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it, so that he shall say, Why hath Yahweh done this unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered, Because they forsook Yahweh, the God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them, therefore hath he brought all this evil upon them. The second passage we find of the eight is in Isaiah 14, 25. In verse 12 of this chapter, that is Isaiah 14, we read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? This was written in about 712 B.C., fewer than... Ten years after the Assyrians took the ten northern tribes into captivity. This chapter is a prophecy against Assyria or Babylon or both, as our subject verse says. We read verses 24 rather through 27 of Isaiah 14. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand that I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains tread him underfoot, then shall his yoke depart from off them and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed and who shall disannul it and his hand hand is stretched out and who shall turn it back? The third passage of the 8 is Jeremiah 2.7. To establish the context, we read verses 5 through 8 of Jeremiah 2. In this chapter, which was to the children of the two southern tribes, that is, Benjamin and Judah, and in part Levi, in about 630 B.C., Jeremiah rebuked, rebuked them for their evil ways. They had turned far from the God of their fathers, Joshua and Caleb, Rather than keep the law, they served other gods, which were no gods. The Almighty sent his prophet Jeremiah to plead with them to turn from their evil ways, and this was their last chance to do so. Beginning at verse 6, Neither said they, Where is Yahweh that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts, and of pits, through a land of drought?" and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you to a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof, but when ye entered it, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. So we should begin to see how important God considered this place he termed my land. Passage the fourth passage of the eighth is again in Jeremiah, this time in six hundred four BC, some twenty five years later than the one we just read. Benjamin and Judah, the two southern tribes, are again rebuked and instructed to repent to serve God, the only God. Looking at Jeremiah chapter sixteen And reading verses 17 and 18, Jeremiah 16, beginning at 17, For mine eyes are upon all their ways, they are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. And first I will recompense their iniquity and their sin double, because they have defiled my land and have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable things. Fifth passage of the Eighth, Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 4. During the Babylonian captivity of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, the Edomites, that is, the people of Idumea, had taken possession of mountains and fortresses of Judea. In this they planned to prevent the Jews, or the children of Israel, from ever returning to the land. The prophet Jeremiah addresses the mountains of Israel in no uncertain terms and makes clear that the Idumeans will not always possess Judea. Let us read Ezekiel 36, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus saith Yahweh to the mountains, and to the hills, and to the rivers, and to the valleys, and to the desolate wastes, and to the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and and a... Derision to the residue of the heathen who are round about. Therefore thus saith Yahweh, Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen, and against all Idumea, which have appointed my land into their possession, with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds, to cast it out for a prey. Sixth passage. Ezekiel 38, this time we see our subject phrase, my land, we note that it is in the chapter which is often often discussed in Christadelphian writings and exhortations because it is the one that contains the account of the prophecy of the invasion of the Gogian host, translated Russia, of our present days. We read verses 16 and 19. And thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O God, before their eyes. Verse 19, "For in my jealousy, and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken, surely in that day there shall be a great shaking. In the land of Israel, let's turn to Joel chapter one for the seventh passage. The three chapter book of Joel is one of a call to repentance, then of an imminent event which he prophesied, and finally, a prophecy of a long time future to the time of Joel. Joel prophesied in about 610 B.C. just prior to the first invasion by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, against the southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah. Because Benjamin and Judah had not heeded Jeremiah and his rebukes upon them, and neither did they heed the warnings by Joel, the Almighty brought a great plague of locusts upon them, so much so that their crops failed and their animals howled for lack of food. This was a precursor to what was about to come upon them by the army of Babylon. In this account, again, we find our subject phrase, My Land. Looking at verses 5 and 6, we read, Joel 1, Awake, ye drunkards, and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Remember we said the crops failed them? Verse 6, For a nation is come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek cheek teeth of a great lion. The eighth and final passage we will look at, which has the phrase my land, is also in in Joel, this time in chapter 3. And it's the passage that uh, Brother Holloway read uh, a little earlier before we began the exhortation. It is the most applicable to our subject for today. This last reference is in a chapter of the Bible in which it is quite clear that final things are prophesied. In the earlier verses, the return from captivity of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah are addressed, and that in fact occurred in 530 B.C. after 70 years of their living in Babylonian captivity. In the latter portion of this chapter, chapter 3, the prophecy of the end times is mentioned and brief details are given. Let us read selected verses from this chapter. We want to just re- merely reread read what Brother uh, Johnny read earlier. Verses 1 and 2. For behold, in those days and at that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, or bring again the return from captivity is probably a better rendering, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. 16. The Lord shall also roar out of Zion, or Yahweh shall roar out of Zion, the place he calls my land, and utter his voice from where? Jerusalem And the heavens and earth shall shake, but Yahweh will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am Yahweh, your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no stranger pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. And all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence
1: against the children of Judah,
0: because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. So we insert a question here. Is Jerusalem to dwell from generation to generation with strangers in the land? The answer to that question is a resounding no. Verse 21, For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion, or Yahweh dwelleth in Zion. And not all the passages in which God said or the scriptures are translated, my land, do we understand have a direct application to the latter days And things which are yet to be fulfilled. However, the fact that God does not call any other location my land should pique our interest and the two word phrase must appear as such for a purpose not seen by a casual reading of scripture. We also note that Yahweh in scripture calls a mountain or mount my mountain or my holy mountain, or my holy mount. The Almighty chose a mountain to call my mountain, one that is in the land territory that he chose to call my land, so the phrases are nearly synonymous. But the phrase my land covers the territory, and whereas the mountain is a little more specific. There are, about, there are ten verses in which we find the term my holy mountain, we're not going to comment on those, and we'll read just uh, about three of them and then continue on. Isaiah 11:9 is one. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A verse that's been, uh, had prayers asked for it to occur by many believers, no doubt down through the centuries, actually in the millennium. Isaiah 56, 7, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Obadiah 16 and 17,
1: For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain,
0: so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Why should we concern ourselves? Why should the world throughout concern themselves with Israel and the holy mountain of God? The reason is that all should be, the reason that all should be concerned is, particularly those of us of the household of faith, is that God, our very creator, fallen mankind's very creator, and the sustainer of the earth and all that therein is, as we read in Deuteronomy 14, has designated these Locations as his own and places he has made holy, that is, set apart or sanctified from all others. We further understand that it is in this place that he will, God will, in his own kingdom send forth his law from Mount Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. The land that we presently know as Israel, as it exists in 207, is much less in size than the land occupied by the twelve tribes when they settled in the land after having removed the Canaanites and other it nations. We've heard last summer, that that is during the the recent war, fairly recent war, between Israel and Hezbollah, that Israel about one-half way through that short war, I think it lasted about six weeks, relatively short, plan to push Hezbollah all the way back north to the Latini River. If we, carefully, if we carefully observe a map of the region present day and compare it to a map of the territory that the 12 tribes settled, we see that the Latini River was very close, from what we can understand from what the uh, people who provided the maps say, the Latini River was very close to the northern border of that original land-grant area, when the 12 tribes went in to occupy it. But that border now, or that Latini River location now, is some, uh, but now, excuse me, the, the northern border of Israel about is about 30 miles to the south. In addition, and another important point is that Gaza, which is not presently in Jewish control due to pressure exerted by the United States, namely President Bush, and Secretary of State Rice on Israel's most recent former leader Ariel Sharon, uh, Gaza was also a part of that 12-tribe uh, territory. Also, quite a few square miles, probably about 200, of present-day Syria and about 60 square miles of present-day Jordan, along with the Sinai, were original 12-tribe territory. God did largely favor Israel in the 1967 war such that they captured territory beyond the pre-1967 war uh, area which approximately duplicated the entirety of the total territory of the 12 tribes initially under Joshua. So we find these things, as they they have certainly occurred in 1967, 1948, and, and further. Uh, uplift us in the times in which we live, because we see a lot of activity in that area. And although we don't accurately anticipate much of it, after it occurs, it does bring bring joy to our hearts and gives us, much more, indica- or gives us more indication of the truth of God's Word and that things are on track to be fulfilled. And we think even very soon. The official statements from the Bush administration in the war that occurred in July of 2006, the one we have mentioned a couple times here in the last few moments, between Hezbollah and Israel, the U.S. strongly sided with Israel and had no favorable comments towards their enemy the whole course of the way. But it is uncertain how much pressure the U.S. exerted on Israel to obey the ceasefire. We strongly infer that the U.S. is trying to broker peace in the Middle East clearly from a humanistic, philosophical, ethicist perspective, the word of God notwithstanding. Inasmuch as God is largely in control of the outcome of the events, we do not opine on the matters, although we do watch with keen desire to see God's prophetic word fulfilled. The carelessness with which fallen mankind administers these political, legal, military, economic, and education institutions cry out that he is wholly dedicated to service to himself. One has only to look at what is applauded as entertainment and the large amount of leisure time available to our citizens and an even larger amount sought by our citizens all speak to strong driving desires For our fellow neighbors to heap pleasures upon themselves. The moral depravity that has overtaken this nation within the last fifty years all speaks to the mind of fallen mankind rather than his desire to serve his creator. Why then does God favor a particular land which he calls my land and a particular mountain which he calls my holy mountain? They are favored because they are an integral part of his purpose to fill this earth with his knowledge and glory as the waters cover the seas. They became an integral part when God made specific promises to Abraham, a progenitor of Jesus Christ, the father of the Israelites, and to David, the king of Israel, a progenitor of Jesus Christ, the anointed of God. God's plan effect his purpose. Approximately 2,000 years after the six days of creation, God chose the man Abraham, or Abram at the time he was called, out of Ur of the Chaldees to be a father of the people of God who would set apart, who he would set apart wholly for himself to the exclusion of all other peoples. that is, peoples as a nation. Ur was an idolatrous nation and God instructed Abram to leave it to go to a land he would later show him. Genesis chapters 12, 13, 17, 19, 21, and 22, and 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 21 reveal some of the elements of God's plan to fulfill his declared purpose. In the chapters in Genesis, with the everlasting covenant having been established with Abraham, and including his sons Isaac and Jacob and their children, And further, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law was given to the children of Abraham and his seed. God revealed in great detail that the land at the time of the Canaanites, including what would later be Jerusalem, were to be dedicated to God and his people forevermore, that is throughout all eternity. Although it was not to be the case that Abraham's children were to live in the land continuously, From that time forward, God still designated it my land and for good reasons. We note no other land is so designated in scripture. We do know that all the land of the whole earth is God's and because other locations are not called my land does not mean that he does not sustain it. But other territories are not called out for such a magnificent future and point of central government as are Israel and Jerusalem. Psalm 50, verse 3 reads, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. If God did not own all the land, how could he claim all the cattle and beasts are his? So we find that the points are synonymous. Then about 1500 B.C., when the children of Israel who had recently escaped bondage in Egypt under their earthly leader Moses were given detailed laws from God through Moses, their leader. They were instructed in the strongest of terms to serve God and him only, to which they positively agreed and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In this same chapter 19 of Exodus, in verse 5, we read, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Which specifically answers to our earlier point that the entire earth is God's. But the point for our introduction of this verse at this time is to remind us that God chose his own people to be a peculiar, that is, a specific or unique treasure unto himself, a particular treasure as we mentioned a moment ago with the vaunted position that Israel held before God at the time they had much required of them and it was not optional except on pain of suffering and possible exile or death and it was to extend to punishment upon their future generations or their children why did God choose a people to be his own Well, in his own wisdom, he chose to work out his purpose through fallen mankind. God offered one way of redemption, and it was through obedience to his instructions alone, through his inspired teachers and prophets, that mankind might be redeemed. This people Israel were not at all in the majority true servants of God through their generations as they were instructed to be and had agreed to be. They failed God time after time and profaned his holy name and were partial in the law, as we read in Malachi 2.7. For their disobedience and for their abominable practices of all manner of idolatry, they were severely punished, as both Leviticus and Deuteronomy prophesied they would be. They became an hissing and a byword amongst the people, according to Jeremiah 29. Well, why was it important for the children of Israel to serve God. The ways of mankind are wicked, and it has been so from the beginning. We read in Jeremiah 17:9, "The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked: who can know it?" Different opinions of psychologists, uh, excuse me, sociologists and psychologists notwithstanding. We also read and again in Jeremiah this time in 10 verse 23, O Lord, I know the way of man; it is not in himself that it that it, excuse me, in himself it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. With these two verses from Jeremiah in mind, we make two observations on our subject this morning. One, for their own good, Israel should have hearkened to the inspired men of God. Two, for the sake of the name of Yahweh and for his praise, honor and glory, and as instructive examples to other nations all of which are heathen and idolatrous Israel should have been obedient a number of scriptures state that the children of Israel should have been a proper example and promoted God's word wherever they went some of those are found in 1 pass some such set one such passage rather is found in Deuteronomy chapter 4 which says now therefore Hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye might live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people." But God has not cast off, nor will he cast off his people Israel, regardless of what world leaders or group of world leaders and countries oppose them. Regardless of the efforts of men in our times to destroy or minimize Israel, God will disallow it. Scripture after scripture in clear language informs us of this truth. The nation of Israel is the focal point or focal nation in God's gracious plan. The jealousy and animosity shown towards Israel will result in the demise of those who behave with such evil intent upon the only chosen of God, both natural and spiritual. God will save Israel to the exclusion of all other nations. We read of this in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verses 10 and 11. We're not going to take time to read those. God will not cast off Israel. We read of this in Romans chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 and 26 through 36. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. Then shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant upon them when I shall take away their sins. Every knee shall bow to the God of Jacob, Romans 14, 11. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess God. God shall place his salvation in Zion, whether, whether the world agrees or disagrees. We read Isaiah 46, and although this had an initial fulfillment with the king of Babylon, Coming upon the nation of Israel, we are convinced that also speaks of future times. Beginning at verse 9, we read, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. In verse 13, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion, for Israel my glory. Fallen mankind will not always be ruled upon earth by fallen mankind. The time will come when God will rule through his Son, Jesus Christ. He will rule over the house of Jacob, that is, Israel, and his reign will be forever. Luke 1, 31-33 And behold, thou shalt conceive, speaking to Mary, in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. God will make a covenant with Israel, and all will know him, that is, the Almighty, from the least unto the greatest. Hebrews eight, ten, and 11. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least unto the greatest. For concluding comments, It seems the radical leader of Iran, from his perspective and desires on a daily basis, is unable to sufficiently condemn Israel. And interestingly enough, associated with this, is that Russia just recently voiced its opinion with respect to sanctions against Iran for their activities, which strongly indicate to some who we trust are quite informed that Iran is in the process to build facilities in which they can manufacture nuclear weapons. The Iranian leader even said two days ago, "This is not the Zionist enemy." Although he has said that, a, although he has said quite a few times that Israel should be destroyed, although the Iranian leader has a role to play in God's plan with affairs in the Middle East, and we are convinced God will allow the Iranian leader's desires, will not allow the Iranians' desires to be fulfilled in the long term, if at all. As we look to those in high positions who are in opposition to the Iranian leader and in nations such as the United States, presently the premier nation on earth by the reckoning of mankind, we also observe that the United States is not favored by the Almighty on every move she makes on the world scene. This is clearly evident today with so much furor over the situation in Iraq and the involvement of the United States in it. It's very interesting that President George Bush Jr., at the outset of his term in January of 2001, was said to be largely interested in domestic policy. But within two short months after he took office, he was effectively forced to become quite involved in the affairs of the Middle East. Moreover, he has very much continuously been quite involved in the affairs of the Middle East since that time. The President's agenda without the events that did occur on September the 11th, 2001, or similar or significant events having occurred, is quite likely, we think, that Mr. Bush would have concentrated his efforts largely upon domestic issues. What we must see and we must be persuaded of is that God's agenda is the one that is actually and daily in process, and it will continue regardless of the desired agenda of fallen mankind, whose desired agenda in this nation is to keep peace at home and for the United States to become more and more affluent. It appears from casual observation that many in high places strive to make themselves richer and more and more powerful, and in numerous individual cases, the Almighty has not stopped them. For those who are so disposed, God will judge, but believers should never have desires or behavior nor be awed by those who behave thusly, such as to highly praise them and certainly in no way to follow their misplaced lead. For we have such a different calling that we are not to give much consideration to the actions of those around us except to remain on guard to avoid, that is, to abstain even from all appearance of evil as we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which of course is much easier said than done. Let us never think that fallen mankind. By his own efforts and through his own agenda to the extent that he can effect effect, rather his own agenda, will, through his efforts, control his own destiny such as to bring peace on earth. Jesus Christ and he alone will be the peacemaker of everlasting and perfect peace. Back in August of 2006, I happened to have the TV on for, for the news around lunchtime. And uh, Donald Rumsfeld, who was then uh, U.S. Secretary of Defense, stated at the end of the conference at which he was being interviewed in reference to the American military in Iraq, says, they, quote, they are the best military force the world has ever seen. We contrast that to various passages in the Old Testament in which we read, for example, God fought for Israel in the day of battle. The Almighty fought for Israel. Israel. The Almighty Destroyed eight Nations for Israel, and on and on. In view of such comments and actions by various world leaders, we had a few scriptures to read, but we will just summarize them very quickly and not read them exactly. Uh, we read in Psalm 33 that a horse is a vain thing for safety. We read in Zechariah 2.8 that,
1: that uh, Israel
0: is the very apple of the eye of God, and those that who would touch Israel or try to harm Israel are harming it. If you were the very apple of God's eye, the very most the most sensitive part of God's being, we read that the Lord campeth around about those that fear Him, and He delivereth them. We read that in the latter days, those who are so misinformed will see the light and uh, grab onto the skirt of him that is a Jew. In Zephaniah 3.8 we read, for the final supremacy of Israel, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. And continuing at verse 16 of Zephaniah 3, In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love, and he will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gathereth her that was driven out. And I will gather them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. And at that time I will bring you again, even in that time that I will gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all people of the earth. For when I I turn back your captivity before their eyes, saith the Lord, saith Yahweh. The kingdoms of this world are finally to be destroyed. We read in Revelation, excuse me, let me read from Zechariah 14 and then read from Revelation in closing. Zechariah 14, 9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord and his name one. In verse 12 of Zechariah 14, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. Revelation 11:15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven. There were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. Thank you.